All right, good morning. Welcome everyone to Blue Ridge Church of Christ Easter Sunday. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Good to see everybody. Good to see all the folks on Zoom coming at you live. Whenever I'm on Zoom, I have this like desire to turn into like a radio DJ or something. Coming at you live. Um, but it's good to see everyone. Uh, it's good to be together in the best sense of that word, considering our current context. Um, but it's great to see all of you and great to be together today. I've got a short sermonian. Short is in the eyes of the beholder, I think. But I've got a short uh, sermonian, and then uh, we'll, we'll be able to fellowship outside uh, here at, at the end. We'll have a closing song, take communion, and then quickly kind of continue to fellowship outside. But um, we will be in John 21 this morning, so please hop over that way. Uh, Good to see everybody. I got to resist the temptation to like try to you know fill you in on the last eight months of my life. But we're almost we're almost having a kid at this point, uh, which is cool. So uh, a, boy, a little boy, if you didn't know, a little guy, a little feller, we, we call him. Little little feller. That's what I call him. Yeah. Um, but, but I was excited about Easter Sunday. Of course, my brother's here and his wife. They're here, Kendall and John Mark. I'm um, excited about Easter Sunday. We had a great time this morning. Thanks again to the, uh, Larry, Teresa Doyer, and Andrew Sweat for putting on a great sunrise devotional for us this morning. Uh, for those of us that went to Azalea Park, that was just phenomenal. It's quickly become like one of the, my favorite traditions uh, here that we do in Blue Ridge. So um, yeah, next year, check it out. It's wonderful. It's uh, just a great time to sing. And as Miss Kathy pointed out this morning, um, it was quiet as we started singing. And then by the time we were ending, all these birds had started to sing. It was pretty kind of beautiful. And we had sung um, How Great Thou Art. And it says, you know, I hear the birds sing sweetly in the trees. It was just kind of a beautiful moment. So uh, thanks again for putting that together, guys. And uh, this morning, I'm going to talk about um, the resurrection. Why not? It's Sunday. It's Easter Sunday. Um, But a specific aspect of the resurrection um, that I think may uh, go unnoticed, perhaps. Uh, I want to kind of focus on one character uh, in the Bible uh, and his interpretation, his experience of the resurrection. Um, and, and he made a promise um, to Jesus at the Last Supper uh, that no matter what anyone else does, I will never leave you. And he made that promise in front of many people. And he made that promise, I believe, with all his heart um, to, that, to that extent. But it was not a few hours later that this person, Peter, uh, the, really the leader, quote unquote, of the apostles, is questioned by a servant girl as Jesus is being uh, Kind of, is he being, has this really uh, injustice of a trial that happens in the Sanhedrin. There's no evidence. This is, they, they just basically decide they're going to kill this guy, right? On no evidence in the middle of the night. And here's Peter. He has his chance to fulfill his promise. And the little girl walks up, really the, most, the least authoritative entity in the Greco-Roman culture, was probably a seven-year-old you know, Jewish girl. And here she is. And, and, and Peter could just say, yeah, I'm with him. But no. He's so afraid. He doubts, I believe, he doubts what the mission that Jesus has called him to do. And he denies Jesus. And an hour goes by. He has time to think about what he's done. And you think maybe he'll, next time he's challenged. But no, he says again, I never knew the man. And the third time, he rejects really all kind of family relationship with any of them. And he calls down curses on himself. And at this time, it says that Jesus has come out of the trial and he looks at him. The rooster crows, Peter begins to weep bitterly, right? 
So I've always kind of imagined the resurrection for, for most of us. We go, what a great day. But I wonder how Peter felt. Seeing Jesus is probably a mixture of joy and a lot of mixture of insecurity. Probably maybe a feeling of I'm out. He knows what I've done. I mean, he's probably going to replace me or at best replace me. At worst, kick me out. Doesn't get much worse than that. Um, You know, this denial in front of everyone that you even knew the guy. And... uh, Peter, it's easy, I think, for us when we come to to Jesus. And all of us, by the way, that are here today, in some way, at some point in your life, you've received a constructed faith, been given a constructed faith. And that construction probably has many wonderful aspects to it. Maybe you grew up in a home church that taught you a lot of things. Maybe you didn't. Maybe maybe you're considering, maybe you've been handed a constructed faith recently. But we're all handed a constructed faith. And the last 12 months, if we've done anything as a country in the last 12 months, we've practiced what's called a deconstruction of really everything that we do. We've, we've taken it and we've, we've, we've deconstructed, we've disassembled it, and we're analyzing it. And we're saying, hold on, why do we do this? Why do we teach this this way in school? Or why, why do we do this with leaders? Every business is going through it. And you can, any number of ways, we've, we have this time, to, and it's, it's difficult. And I think as Christians, I think we've done a pretty... Uh, bad job historically, and I know I've done a pretty bad job as well, in dealing with doubt. And I think we tend to think that when we doubt, on, we are uh, sinning or we are not what Jesus wants us to be. And I, I might not use the word deconstruction so much, but deconstruction really is, in a way, it's, it's a doubt. You're doubting, hold on, why do we do things this way? Why do I do things this way? It, deconstruction is not a bad thing. It can be bad. Uh, if the motivation is bad, and we'll talk about that a little bit later, but I'm probably just going to use the word doubt or wrestling mostly this morning. Because I think doubt and wrestling, we've all gone through it. I can't tell you how many times I've studied the Bible with somebody, whether I meet them at UVA or JMU, and they sit down and they go, I'm not doing very well spiritually, or I've not done well recently. And I ask why, and they say, because I have doubts, or I'm doubting a lot. Right? We've been there, right? Like, I'm doubting, so I'm not doing well. And I think when we look at doubt within the resurrection, I think we'll be able to take something beautiful from it that Jesus is trying to teach Peter. And the beautiful thing about Peter and the beautiful thing about the Bible is that it includes all of his horrible mistakes. I love the authors of the Bible. They include some pretty bad stuff at times, nasty stuff, and we read it and go, oh, why is it in there? It's in there because it's real. And, And just because it happens in the Bible doesn't mean God's proud of it. It's actually saying, no, no, it's happened. It doesn't mean God's proud of what happened. Right. But I, don't, I think God wants us to know kind of what Tiffany was sharing. Is that this, this life is difficult, right? And there's a lot in this life that happens. But Peter, I think, had a lot of doubts about Jesus. But his problem was, is he didn't discuss them with anyone. He didn't vocalize them. Peter, in Mark chapter 8, he's in Caesarea Philippi with Jesus, and Jesus says, who, who am I am? Really kind of a high moment for Peter. He gets the answer right, right? Finishes like a valedictorian, top of his class there. He, gonna, he kind of goes, yeah, you're the Christ. And Jesus goes, correct. And the Christ is going to die. And Peter goes, never. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You don't have in mind the things of men, uh, the things of God, but rather of men. Okay. Peter, to a certain extent, gets it. To another extent, he's, he's way off. Later on, right, I've always marveled, uh, we can't read it all, I wish we could, but in Luke 22, when Jesus is arrested, 
You know what Peter does? Cuts off an ear of the guy who's trying to arrest Jesus. Okay, you've been with Jesus for three years. You're still carrying a sword. It says something. You've probably heard Jesus teach. I've read the Bible. I only, I only have like a little bit of what Jesus taught because it's just in the Bible a little bit. He lived with Jesus for three years, still carrying his sword. So even though he was with Jesus, he, and Jesus said, though, you know, those who live by the sword die by the sword. Jesus said, uh, blessed are the meek, blessed are the humble. You know, uh, someone slaps your cheek, give him the other. Peter knew all this. He heard all of it, but he's still carrying that sword. It means that he's believing in his Jesus, his version of the Jesus that he likes. And you know, the most popular Jesus at that time was the military Jesus, the military Messiah who would come and lead the revolution, kill the Romans and lead them back. So I think Peter, like us, was a little more affected by his culture than he realized. We're all deeply affected by our culture. And when you deconstruct, when you doubt, and I think we all, we all will, and we all have, the one thing I want to say today, the one thing I want you to know is that the greatest mistake in doubt is to do it alone. Yeah. It is to doubt alone. I wonder if Peter had brought this up a little earlier. He brought that doubt with him. He, he says at, at dinner, Jesus, I'll follow you. I will die with you no matter what. What he's really saying is, I will die with you as long as you're my kind of Jesus. I will go to church as long as you're my kind of Jesus. I will go to that church as long as they're my kind of church. And we do this too. We say, I have faith if. I believe if. Right? And Peter made the mistake that we make, which is that an old Puritan thinker said, if it fits in a spoon, it's probably not the ocean. And he says, if it fits in a spoon, it's probably not the kingdom of God. I think sometimes we think, I've got Jesus down. I've got the right doctrine. I've got the right police. I'm good. And then Jesus comes along and says, no, there's still more to learn. There is so much more about who I am and what my mission is than perhaps you realize. And we bring this, this, this insecurity. And we're going to look at a scene. I love this scene. We're going to look at a scene where Peter <laughs> is, a, is, is taught to the first time. You ever been at like a group thing and then uh, you're, there's someone that, that, that's there that kinda, you're kind of awkward with? And then you're like, oh, at least we're in a group. And then everyone kind of happens to like leave. And you're like, oh, snap. We're about to discuss something, I'm sure. And in John chapter 21, this is what happens. They finish breakfast. Peter's alone with Jesus. And Peter's probably thinking, uh-oh, what's, what's going to happen next? John 21, verse uh, 15. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Jesus is good. He's not saying, do you love me more than the fishing equipment? He's not saying, uh, do you love me more than these? Like, like do you love me um, more than you love the other apostles? Jesus is being, he's serving a gentle reminder of the promise you made last time we talked. Last time we talked, Peter, you said you love me more than, than they love me. The other apostles, that you're the greatest apostle. Do you still love me, Peter, more than them? Like you said, you did. Can you imagine Peter's heart drop? He knows about what Jesus is referring. He he knows what he's talking about. Simon Peter, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. You see, Simon can't, uh, uh, he can't base his promise anymore on action. He can't say, 
you know that I love you because I will do anything for you. He's already done that, and he failed. So he can't say, I love you, and here's why. All he can do is say, I love you. I, I, know, I know you do. I know you know that I love you. He's banking on Jesus saying, trust me, Jesus. You know I, I didn't mean it. You know I, did, I tried. You know, Jesus, that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, take care of my sheep. Then a third time he said, uh-oh, three times. Why three? Three denials, right? Peter denied Jesus three times. Asked him a third time, you love me? He answered, uh, he was hurt, right? He says, Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, probably John, following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You know, there's a couple things here that I think are, are wonderful about, about doubt. Is I think when we doubt, and I think we're actually worse at this when other people around us are going through periods of wrestling. When people around us are going through a season of wrestling, and I want to clarify, seasonal doubts are great. Consistent, constant doubt is a nightmare. Uh, periodic wrestling, you need it to survive. Constant wrestling, it's just going to be horrible for you. We're not meant to be in constant doubt. Constant wrestling. I believe that when we live in the world, we, we, are, we, are, we are constantly doing that. But in Jesus, there are times we need to take an assessment. Uh, great phrase I've instantly fell in love with years ago. We need to consistently eat the meat and spit out the bones. You've got to eat the meat. You have to spit out the bones, Right? What are the things, that, what, what is the real Jesus? Now, I think one of our temptations when people are going through doubt is that we try to fix them. And I understand that because a lot of times we're just concerned. We're just concerned and so we want to help. I don't believe that we're trying to hurt. We're trying to help, sure. But I think sometimes the, the, what someone needs more than anything is for someone to walk with them through their doubt. Not to be fixed. Uh, uh, not to be, not... And when I say fixed, I mean, don't give them a link to an article. Don't give them a book and say, here, read this. And then, and then it, don't try to hurry them up. Or make, make, people need to be walked with through their doubt. And I'll tell you why. Look at Peter. Peter has struggled so much with an incorrect view of Jesus. And I love that Jesus here, he reinstates him. Sure, but it's, it's not. A, sometimes your Bible will say the reinstatement of Peter. I think Peter cares less about his reinstatement. I don't know. The word sounds kind of unfeeling. I think he's like, am I going to be accepted back in your eyes, Jesus? And when, when someone doubts God, a lot of times they hurt us or it feels like they hurt us. You know, we've all read the, the social media posts or the Facebook posts and, you know, hey, I'm, I'm out. I'm done. I can't really do this anymore. Um, and you try to reach out. They don't respond. And it sounds like a lot of those social media posts are honestly kind of written by the same person. Uh, it's like they're contacting a third party somewhere who gets them with this, this, this thing. <laughs> like it all sounds the same because I think we all go through similar doubts. But the biggest mistake you can make is to disconnect. Is to disconnect. To stay connected to what? Bring Jesus with you through your doubts. And I wonder if Peter, 
had brought Jesus in on his doubt years before this. He doesn't. He doesn't. He still brings that sword just in case, right? He's like, Jesus, just in case you want to forget everything you've taught and kind of go with my way. I'm ready, <laughs> right? And Jesus is like, no, 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 we're not doing the sword thing, Peter. Uh, we're not doing that. But Jesus comes back and he walks with him. How much time has passed since, since Peter's action of, of sin to deny Jesus between then and now? It's weeks. It's, it's a lot of time. When you're going through periods of doubt and deconstruction, it feels like forever. It feels like forever. But the beautiful thing is that in Christ, and this is the beauty of resurrection, everything in our world is redeemed, which means that nothing is useless or pointless in Jesus. In the world, suffering, it, it, it makes people in the world so angry suffering because they, no one should have to suffer because it's pointless in their eyes. It's pointless. And, and we believe, too, that no one should suffer because we, because we feel for them. We don't want them to feel pain. We don't want them to hurt. But we understand that suffering has a point, a purpose, a goal. You ever heard of dry farming? You know the worst thing you can do in dry farming? Water the plants. They said, Drew, no, it's farming. Water is kind of crucial. I don't know much about farming, but I'm pretty sure water is key. Why don't you water the plants in dry farming? Because the roots will stay on the surface. The roots go where the water is. Roots go where the water is. When you go through deconstruction and doubt, and when you bring Jesus with you, you dig deep roots. Deep roots. Those roots go deep to where that water is. And you're, you're able to, because knowing Jesus is not about knowing everything. We'll never know everything. You might think after reading this that, oh, Peter's finally got it. In Acts chapter 10, P- Peter's rebuked basically on some pretty legit, legitimate prejudice toward Gentiles. Right. Jesus is like, hey, Peter. Peter's like, yeah, hey, I know I planted the church in Jerusalem. I got the keys to the kingdom. I'm the rock. And Jesus is like, yeah, but you're kind of prejudiced. And by the way, so is the nation of Israel. Nothing God has made clean should you call unclean. Right. And Peter's like, Whoa, whoo, what in the world? Now, Peter's great in that case because he actually goes right to Cornelius' house and he baptizes the family, right? I mean, it's a, it's a wonderful story, but the, the, the thing about deconstruction is it's never over. Right. We've never figured out Jesus. The last great deconstruction is heaven. Yeah. We'll get there and we'll go, oh, 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 my goodness, this is, this is incredible. I had no idea this is what he meant. This is what it was. Woo! Like, the last greatest deconstruction is heaven. And I think our temptation is to disconnect in our doubt. Peter does a little bit. Peter experiences the greatest act of grace in his entire life. You know what his first response is? What about John? Sometimes it's not that God's not gracious. It's just that we don't, we're not getting it. He gets the greatest act of grace and forgiveness. And he goes, hold on, what about John? Sometimes I think we focus a little too much on the church. And we get really angry at what other people are doing or what the church is doing. Don't get me wrong. The church has made awful mistakes. But that's, that's well litigated in history. Okay? Because the church is people. And yes, in the 20th century, uh, uh, racism and a, and a low view of women have snuck in to the Western church. I believe that. I believe that we have to isolate that and we have to get rid of it. We have to have a view, a biblical view, doesn't mean we go along with culture. 
It means we go along with the biblical view. We're constantly reevaluating, constantly going to the Bible, and constantly going back to Jesus. Your roots need to be in Christ, not in, the, in that church. Because when someone will, will make a mistake, but if our roots are in Jesus, go back to Jesus. Don't worry about John right now. And by the way, yeah, he's not going to be crucified. Bummer, right? But he will be boiled, so that's, that's another thing. But anyway, yeah, John's, John's boiled. And he's uh, boiled alive, and he survives, um, which I think is worse. But anyway, Peter is crucified, but Peter's focused. Peter's so focused on, what about John? And I think as a church, in our own doubt, the worst thing we can do is disconnect. And I'll tell you why. Two examples. One, we live in Charlottesville, so this one's going to work pretty well. Thomas Jefferson. I think sometimes we go to the Bible with a pair of scissors, which is what Thomas Jefferson does, right? His Bible, his culture said that reason was the greatest thing in the world, the Enlightenment. He's a child of the Enlightenment, right? Reason is the greatest. Therefore, the miracles in the Bible are wrong. So Thomas Jefferson cuts out all the miracles. It's a very depressing book, by the way, if you read Thomas Jefferson's Bible. But it fit his worldview. It fit him. It wasn't about, let me, let me try to understand Jesus deeper. It was, let me fit Jesus into my perspective. And that is the greatest sin of ethnocentrism you can ever do. To think that your perspective here and now in the 21st century is greater than every other perspective and any other culture in the world is the most ethnocentric and prideful thing that you can do. But we do it all the time. We do it all the time. We've got to be careful. Worst example, much worse example, I think, by far. Slave owners in the American South, they liked the idea of their slaves being inspired in the Bible. They didn't like the book of Exodus. So what do they do? Give Bibles to the slaves that have no Exodus in them. They cut out the book of Exodus. They said, I want the Bible to fit what I want, to pad my wallet. Right? Slavery didn't end because people stopped reading the Bible. Slavery ended because people finally started reading the Bible. The whole thing. Go to the whole Jesus, the whole gospel, the whole Bible. And a bad doubt, a bad deconstruction is one where you isolate because there's no one to help you figure out kind of what is Jesus, who is Jesus. Don't get me wrong. Solitude, wonderful. Practice solitude. Solitude is when you take a break from people for a bit, but you come on back. Practice the Sabbath. Please practice the Sabbath. These are wonderful, wonderful things. I'm talking about permanent disconnection. Permanent disconnection. It's good to go alone. You can experience God alone and come back. But I think we've realized in the last 12 months, I think, and I'm talking about the church in general, we've realized that we're probably not as unified as we thought. Right? And the temptation will be to come back and pretend things are a bit hunky-dory. A bit hunky-dory, right? But the reality is, is that We've, we, we have a chance to come back, not more unified to each other, because we're all different. Praise God for that. But all to come back more unified as we all have our roots in Jesus. Yeah. We're able to have a discussion with someone who disagrees, with someone who... We're able to, to, to be able to do that thing that the world can't do, which is have a discussion with somebody who disagrees, because our roots are not in what they think of us. Our roots are not even in what the church may say. Our roots are in Jesus. The church is full of people who love Jesus. The church is full of people who are committed to Jesus. And that's my great hope. I'm excited. I'm excited. Like that phoenix who rises from the ashes. Like what the church will do coming out of COVID. We will be so much more unified than ever before. 
But we won't be unified if we try to, if we go to the Bible emotionally. I don't think we actually take scissors to the Bible physically. I think a lot of us take scissors to the Bible emotionally. And we say, this is what I'm going to do, and this is what I'm not going to do. Let's, let, let's, let's find out the whole Jesus. I think a lot of times people will say that they're mad. They'll say that they're, 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 they don't believe in God. I met a guy in Australia on an internship there, and I met him, and he go, I invited him to a Bible discussion, and he says, I'm an atheist. So we talked, and he gave me all the atheist answers about how God doesn't exist. And then after an hour, he said, if God exists, why did my brother kill himself? And he said, I, I've been angry at God for years. And I said, yes, it's not that you don't believe in God. It's that you're angry at him. And those are two different things. Yes, anger at God. You, he is there. Wrestle. Wrestling is good. You know what Israel means in Hebrew? Wrestling with God. <laughs> it's like, we're not here. We're here because we're trying to figure out, trying to find Jesus, trying to align ourselves constantly with what he wants us to do in the here and now. A constant reassessment, eating the meat and spitting out the bones, going where that water is. And I think as a church, if we can stop seeing doubters as a problem and more as future missionaries, they'll be able to be exactly what God sees in them. Peter is not defined by his actions with Jesus, right? Now, Jesus doesn't ignore the sin. Big deal. That's tempting, right? Just ignore what they did. Jesus gently reminds him. Like, he's like, hey, three times, you know, like, I, I saw what you did, buddy. Yeah. And it's not cool. But I love you. I love that Jesus asked the question, not, not, hey, have you signed off on our orthodoxy? Or, hey, do you believe our doctrinal statement? Or are you a member again? He says, Peter, I don't care about everything else. I'm going to ask the most important question I can think of. Do you love me? This is the greatest question. This is the only question. This is the most important question. And it's the question we have to ask ourselves day after day, week after week. Do we love Jesus? The real Jesus. Because this man in just 40 days is going to go preach to 3,000 people. Actually, 3,000 get baptized. He's going to preach to hundreds of thousands of people in Jerusalem right where he stood when he denied Jesus. 40 days for making the greatest sin of his life, he is preaching the gospel. He is a, he's, he's crucified upside down. He says, crucify me upside down because I don't deserve to die like my Lord died. He's crucified in Rome. Peter is one of the most important missionaries of the first century. Jesus didn't see him as a doubter. He saw him as a future missionary. And when we see people as where they're going, you know, I think Kim had shared this recently with me, you know, when people are struggling, saying they're writing their testimony. They're, they're, they're on a path. They're, they're working on it. God can do and will do incredible things. Remember Doubting Thomas? He goes to India and he preaches the gospel. You ever met an Indian person named Thomas? Last name Thomas, there's a lot of them. A lot of them can connect their ancestry to the Apostle Thomas and the church he planted in West India. Yeah. Doubting Thomas was a missionary. Church, doubt, we've got to destigmatize doubt. It's not, it's not always bad. It's not always bad. It can be, but it's not always bad. The motivation to go back. That guy in Australia, by the way, got baptized. He's a disciple in the Sydney church. He's a wonderful guy. His name's Chris. But he was hurting. It wasn't that he didn't believe in God. He needed somebody to walk with him through his doubt. He needed somebody to walk with him through his struggle. You know, my, my, my closing idea here is that when we walk with Jesus, we'll be able not to be defined by our doubt, not a problem to be fixed, but someone to walk with. They may not want to walk with you, but let's not ever let the love stop on our end. 
As long as the love doesn't stop on our end, we've done what we can. We've done what Jesus did. He didn't ignore Jesus, uh, Peter's sin, but he also didn't define him by it. Right. And we, if we, can, we don't need to ignore sin, but we're not defining people by it. And I want to close with the, with the words of a, when I survey the wondrous cross. And when I, when I think we get down to the only question that matters, do you love me? The only question that matters, do you love me? We're able to find that our actions are easy. It says, were the whole realm of nature mine, that were an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Church, let's have deep roots and let's be aware of our culture. Let's not go with the culture, but let's also be willing to deconstruct, be willing to assess, eat the meat, spit out the bones. And let's continue to strive to find the real Jesus and know that the last greatest deconstruction is heaven. And when we get there, I think we'll all be like, oh my goodness. Happy Easter, and he is risen. Thanks for listening to the Blue Ridge Podcast. My name is Will Portillo, and if you'd be interested in more resources like this or connecting with us, visit us online at blueridge.church or connect with us on Facebook at Blue Ridge Church of Christ. Visit us on YouTube and subscribe for weekly sermons, encouraging news, and short devotionals. Thanks for tuning in, and see you next time.